Hello and welcome to Automators, the automation podcast about making computers do all of the things for you, uh, at least, you know, most of the time when they behave. Uh, I'm Rosemary Richard and I'm joined as always by David Sparks. Hey, David, how are you? I am great, Rose. I, uh, how are, I'm, you know, automating today. We've got a guest on. This is going to be a fun show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. Welcome to the show, Dan Morin. Hello. It's so nice to be here with both of you. Uh, before we get started, I just wanted to share a couple announcements. Um, the uh, I just released the shortcuts for Mac Field Guide. Automators may be interested in that. It's got a uh, uh, it's eight hours, one hundred and thirty four videos or so, and just a lot of training on how to do shortcuts on your Mac. This one was quite a uh, quite a journey, frankly. <laughs> you know, uh, shortcuts didn't start out so great on the Mac, but they really kind of picked up steam towards the end, and we got a great field guide out of it. Um, if you guys are interested, head over to learn.maxbarkey.com. You can get it there. Um, there is a 10% discount, which you can get for now for a short time. Uh, there's two versions. The The main version is just, you know, the field guide with the eight hours and 134 videos. But there's a plus version, the first time I've ever done that, where you can also get it with a um, with a webinar series. We're going to do a webinar series on shortcuts. So uh, it's just a little thing I did. Please go check it out. Well, speaking of taking things up to the next level, Dan, uh, welcome to the show, of course, first of all. And, um, you know, I'm I'm curious, you know, I, I've known about you for what feels like quite a long time, you know, just through Relay and so on. We've podcasted together on Clockwise and so on. Um, and I get the impression that you probably have quite a bit of, you know, history with tech, obviously, and a lot more going on with automation in your life than one might think at a casual glance. <laughs> uh that's probably true i mean my tech history certainly goes back quite a ways um i guess my my earliest automation history is probably like trying to figure out how to program my vcr back in the <laughs> late 1980s <laughs> uh probably to tape star trek off our local tv channel um and i mean you know i've had a mac since 1990 and i have messed around with a lot of different automation and programming aspects on the mac over that period um in the earliest days that was like playing around with the innards of apps via ResEdit um, or doing a little bit of uh, learning, tinkering with uh, tools like uh, HyperCard. Um, and so I, you know, automation has always been a tricky area for me because it's something that I am very interested in because I love the idea of doing less work. Everybody likes that. Everybody likes doing less work. Um, and I enjoy getting down into the weeds on sort of programming and uh, tinkering with these kind of things. But at the same time, uh, I have often found myself frustrated by the resources available because, I mean, I remember in the very mm. earliest days, you know, if you wanted to script anything on the Mac, you're doing Apple Script. And Apple Script was something that I always struggled with. I, I, I never quite understood how to make it do the things that I wanted it to do. Uh, it always seemed a bit arcane. And I sort of knew there was all this stuff that you could do, but I just, I had so much trouble wrapping my head around it um, that I think it wasn't yeah. until I started learning like programming languages later. For some reason, even those, you know, ended up being more accessible to me than AppleScript in my earliest days, you know, learning basic and uh, even hypertalk. Like I could get my, I could understand what I was doing there. Whereas with AppleScript, it felt like it should be something I, I could easily, oh yeah, just do this thing and it does this, but it never seemed to quite work for me. So, I struggle with that. I think the challenge with Apple Script is that you know they they really wanted it to be more accessible to non-programmers, 
Yeah. So it's got a certain fuzziness to it that you really right. have to get mm-hmm. used to. And like, if you are a more traditional programmer and you know how to declare a variable and do certain things and it always works the same way, but you always do it exactly the same way, a language that is, um, you know, more that is fuzzier like Apple script, it can be vexing. Yeah. And I think part of the challenge for me, especially as someone who also does a lot of writing is the Apple script always purports to be this like written in English style programming language. Right. And, mm-hmm. but it doesn't look like English and it doesn't look like programming. And yeah. I always just was like super confused. Yeah, no, I get it, man. I, th- I think a lot of yes. people struggle with that, which is, a, yeah. I think one of the reasons Apple has gone so hard on shortcuts is they want mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. that, you know, people can do without having to decipher Apple script. Right. And then in the meantime, in the, in like the interim there, we had automator right on the, on the Mac. And that was another great example of every single time I was like, I should be able to automate this. And I would open automator and I would spend half an hour trying to do something and just get frustrated (laughs) and then quit automator because it was like, it takes me more time in this moment to automate the thing that I was going to do than to do the thing. And I know that I might save time in the long run if I can automate it, but it's just too, it's too hard. It's too hard. It's like inserting a date in into a file name in in automator like it's a hard-coded date like you select a date from a date picker and then it stays like that it's not like a dynamic thing and 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 stuff like that i i found it very frustrating and similarly you know with um apple script like you can say like with records from um shortcuts or for each uh, but you don't use for each to go through it's like repeat with shortcut in folder from shortcuts or something like that and yeah and they've got so many aliases as well for things which you know like get this within that or you know with you know while and quite seemed like when i was like trying to chain those blocks together like you can see the the dna of shortcuts in automator yeah shortcuts does it just so much better uh and so you know trying to struggle through automator and figure out like Okay, where does this what 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 information is this passing to the next action in the chain, and how do I get to do this? But how do I get these files? I want to manipulate these things, and it was just, you know, it frustrated me so much uh, that I just never really. I did some super basic stuff, and then I would kind of give up and not try to do anything really complex. I, I honestly think a large portion of the automation stuff I've done, especially in recent years, has been via the web, like mm-hmm. web based tools. Yeah. Um, and that is, I think, something that makes a lot of sense for me because it's one of those cases where it's like, well, I have this data over here and I have want to perform these actions on it. Um, and I want to like, you know, do a really complex thing. And I know I have all these services available to me that can do these things. So, you know, for example, I wrote a post, oh, I want to say maybe, I think it was last last year, the end of last December 2021 there. Um, I do a yearly puzzle competition at MIT called mm-hmm. the mystery MIT mystery hunt. And I've been part of a team doing that for over a decade now. And one of the things that I sort of set myself to do a few years back was redo some of our behind the scenes like tools, because we had these giant Google spreadsheets where we'd store information. And we wanted to be able to like, have, uh, you know, Slack channels to work on things and Google documents spawned every time there was a new puzzle we wanted to work on. And we we had a system to do it, but it was a little clunky. And I discovered a service called Integromat. And mm-hmm. I just sort of dove into that. And it was like so perfect for what I need to do. I have this exceedingly complex work workflow where it like 
spins off and now spins off like Discord channels and Google Docs and files the Google Docs in the correct areas and like can manage channels and take and you can sort of solve puzzles with a separate workflow that then archives channels and marks things as solved and all this. And it was just, oh yeah, like this is this is what I need. This is the thing that is like totally oh, yeah. scratching my automation itch. Oh yeah. Yeah. I really love Integromat. They recently renamed to make, make and um, yeah. yeah, David David's been playing with it a lot as well. And I have to say I really like the visual aspect of it as well. Oh, it works and so the fact nicely. that you've yeah. got the the branches and everything in there. It, it makes it feels like it's quite easy to understand what's going on as well if you watch yeah. a flow. I quite like when I'm testing oh, something, like watching it and then watching it like iterate over like ten different things where uh-huh, it just like uh-huh. loops over something. It's like one, two, three. Yeah very satisfying having come at that from things like uh you know ifttt and zapier both of which kind of operate on a similar principle but ifttt was always very limited it's really just like this thing happens do this like that's it and zapier was more complex but i think to your point about the ui is not as easy to grok it is a far weirder ui and it's just harder to figure well, out it's top down right it, it yeah, goes from exactly. the top to the bottom of your screen um and you don't have the option to move things around and so on so if you put something you can add something i think between two two actions inside of a zap um but you can't i don't think you can rearrange things so you can't say oh right this thing that was down here actually i need to move that six actions up yeah. um which is is a one of those things that i struggled with and i found with make um you can sort of just like break the connections it's, between things and and it's then move a little it bit around. like uh audio hijack basically yeah. right like it's got that same sort of like modular yeah. flow to it now as we're talking about this i'm like oh, that'd be great for shortcuts they should do that <laughs> yeah i mean i have to say that is one of the things where um i do wish that like i have a 12.9 inch ipad pro and i'll appreciate not everyone has one of those mm-hmm. but anybody that's got a mac running mac os monterey has got at least a 13 inch screen available um, and shortcuts has the same kind of thing, right? It's top down. You start at the top and you work your way down, which is a very logical thing to do. But I kind of feel like maybe a left to right and then branching things out and being able to see this goes to here um, and that goes to there. And can it do both of those in parallel? Yes, it can. Or no, I've added a filter in here to stop it doing that. That could be very useful. And I, I wonder if you know, because I find I think a lot of people have discovered shortcuts over the last you know couple of mm-hmm. years. Obviously, with Apple buying them and shipping it, you know, built into every iPhone. Um, but I think more people would be inclined to play with it if it looked a bit more like a game. And I find yeah. like Make yeah. looks a bit more like a game than than Zapier does, for example. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think that would be super cool because it is one of the things that you struggle with a lot in shortcuts. It's like, oh no, I need to move this section, and it's like, all right, so you can sort of drag stuff, but if you got a small screen, you got to like. <laughs> drag it with one hand and scroll up and not overshoot and then if you got dragging multiple blocks at the same time because it's all like nested it sometimes gets a little slow or cumbersome and yeah it's 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 great for what it is it has done an amazing job of introducing more and more people to automation and making automation possible on ios uh but it doesn't mean that we should stop there and i would love i think that would be super cool if they decided to go to a more modular design at some point it's funny how all this kind of ties together i mean we started talking about automator which is really the um the, the the predecessor of shortcuts i mean if you look historically the people that made workflow which became shortcuts they were attracted to automator and the problem with automator wasn't that the people that made it were were enthusiastic about it, it was just i think upper management at apple never gave it you know sufficient resources to become as good as it could have been 
I mean, mm, yeah. they, they announced Automator with so much fanfare, but they never did much with it afterwards. And, you know, from everything <laughs> we, we've heard, Sal was running behind the scenes, you know, with his, uh, you know, you know, trying to get people to adopt it even inside the company with their apps. And it just never got that traction. Yeah, it's very, very Apple-like move to announce something with a big announcement and then kind of quietly just let it die. Yeah, I think upper management, there were some people in upper management that just weren't interested in automation. Mm, and that's sure. my yeah. outside take. You know, I mean, I think Steve Jobs got it, right? Because automation is what kept Apple afloat. You know, it was all the automation stuff they had in the 90s that kept publishers buying Macs and probably kept the company from going under. But, you know, times change, right? And I think that, you know, it had to come from outside. But at the same time, when you see the the people making workflow being drawn in with the idea of Automator, of course, they're going to make the same vertical layout. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And I, but I think yeah. even this the the friendliness of shortcuts in the way mm-hmm. not only how it's laid out and everything, but like, you know, we talked about the visual appeal and like those big colorful blocks. Yeah. I think, honestly, it's a little thing, but it makes a big difference because it feels approachable in a way that Automator did not. Yeah. Yeah. And the way that the widgets kind of blend into your home screen as well, you know, if you've got like a one action widget, it's just a a big colorful blob. But similarly, most other widgets are quite similar, Um, especially the the little two by two one. Um, You know, it's just one action with a little icon and some text on it, but it it does exactly what you need. Though I am slightly concerned because if you if you have a look at it, like, you know, Microsoft Word and off the Office Suite for ages had the best automator actions for doing stuff. You could convert like yeah. a Word document to a PDF and so on. But that wasn't something you could do with pages. No, mm-hmm. not really. And we've kind of seen to a lesser extent because fortunately the iWork team are on it and they've they've shipped a whole bunch of actions for shortcuts and including a recent update where they've added a whole bunch extra f- or, um, stuff on the Mac, which was really nice. But like there isn't a lot of buy-in from say the Mail app inside of shortcuts and it would be really nice to see you know those other teams that apple you know step up to the plate or give the shortcuts team access to whatever it is they need to do to be able to do more i don't just want to send an email i want to be able to get my emails and find the ones that were sent by me within the last week from this specific email account so that i can just have an overview of like how much time did i spend actually sending email last week or even open a targeted mailbox like open up my feedback Mm -hmm. folder I mean, yeah, it, and not rely on you having opened it 20,000 times to try and get that shortcut action to show up. Yeah, which, which <laughs> right, by the way, right. isn't consistent even when you use it. Um, you, it should be yeah. like a UUID kind of situation where you're like, yeah, this folder becomes a target and you open it. It's that simple. Yeah, I, I think and it's fascinating too. I mean, you, you talked, David, about upper management and stuff like that. Like, you know, who owns the shortcuts for the apps? I mean, Federico Vitici's obviously mentioned this kind of stuff before, but like, you know, they roll out new features at WWC and shortcuts rolls out new features. And it's like, well, is it the people in the apps who work on those apps that are responsible for like making it work with shortcuts? Or is it the shortcuts team has to go to all the app people and be like, please, let us, let us do this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, new, new features come out. I think of, I was trying to automate something and uh, I wanted to do an automation really to tab groups in Safari. Yeah. There's nothing there. You can't do no. anything with tab groups. <laughs> uh, it doesn't even know a tab group exists, right? I mean, and similarly, uh, I think Federico mentioned Notes, Quick Notes, the you know new feature that they rolled out last year. No, that's not a thing there either. So no. yeah, you, you want to see that buy-in where it's like, hey, if you announce these new features every year, 
have shortcut support already. Like that should be part of announcing these new features is it's A, we've got this feature and B, you can also access it in shortcuts. You don't have to talk about it every time, but like that's the table stakes at this point. Yeah, like two, two that really stand out are Apple Notes and Reminders. Like Reminders got new features last year. That, yeah. and, and even though there is good support in shortcuts or Reminders, none of the new features got actions. Right. And it's like, yeah. so is that the way it works? We have to wait for you to add a new feature, and then we have to wait another year for you to add it, assuming we're going to get it. You know, <laughs> I mean, right, right. It smacks of like the reminders and notes team, you know, building new features and the shortcuts team not knowing that those features exist yes. <laughs> right? until yeah. it comes out. And you're like, uh, left hand, right hand, come on, guys, you know, talk to each other. Yeah, and I, I get that they have privacy and uh, secrecy concerns. You know, Apple have had a lot of things um, leaked before, and, you know, especially the week or a couple of weeks before WWDC, which we're in as we record this episode and as it releases. You know, I can imagine it must be really disheartening if you're a developer. You've been working on something for the last year. You know, you've been working really hard, um, and there's going to be like a big keynote. Everyone's going to get to watch it and find out about it. And there's, you know, this cool video demo, and it's just an article on Mac Rumors. Yeah. Like and the, and yeah. the, and and it kind of just I can imagine that being a massive letdown for all of the work that you've done. So I understand why they wouldn't necessarily talk about it internally and tell the shortcuts team. But equally, why don't they get a shortcuts expert on their team or somebody right. who partners yeah. with the shortcuts team part of the time to add support for things like that, so that you know it, it doesn't necessarily uh, uh, you know uh, like hopefully fingers crossed there wouldn't be merge conflicts if they keep it on like a side branch and just keep things up to date as they go but if they could do that as they did things because we only recently on the mac got a shortcuts action to get the current web page from safari All right, and it's only yeah. on the mac um but ios did get the ability to get the contents of what's on your screen a while ago but that doesn't necessarily translate to a safari page and you know how depending on how you trigger this it you know, if you trigger something via the share sheet, then you actually don't want that action. Um, you want whatever's coming through the share sheet. And so you have to kind of do some smart stuff. And it would be really nice if there were just deeper integration with the Apple native apps yeah, and, yeah. you know, show Microsoft how it's done. My hope on that is the adoption, especially by third parties of shortcuts in a way that I feel like Automator never really got. Um, I'm hoping that spurs Apple a bit when they realize... Yeah. Hey, there are all these other apps are building this stuff in and, and users are responding to that and being positive about that. I hope that sort of feedback loops into Apple and they're like, hey, we should be spending more time on our own stuff so that we don't look like we're <laughs> second class citizens on our own platform. Um, but yeah, I mean, and and, and full props to uh, uh, apps like Rogue Amoeba. Uh, or mm. in, they put out Audio Hijack, obviously, with some limited shortcuts of work. But then SoundSource came out, what, last week? An update that has like, I don't know, like more than a dozen different like shortcuts options, which is great. I, I'm wow. I'm a huge fan of this. So okay, yeah. I did not realize that that update had come out, and it's now going on my to do list to like go check that out immediately after the show because I was on holiday last week, so I I I didn't read that there was a SoundSource update with shortcut support. And oh yeah, that, yep. I, my weekends just disappeared. <laughs> and to get back to your point, Rose, about you know secrecy inside Apple. You know, the leaks that happen usually are in the manufacturing chain. That's usually where the leaks come. Rarely does Apple have software leaks. And, you know, they make those employees sign documents when you join Apple that literally, you know, makes you feel like they're going to take your second child if you speak, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it, it's so bad that people leave Apple and they're still afraid to talk about it, you know? So, 
I don't think the issue is leaks coming out of teams working together and making a better product for the customer. It just seems to me so counterintuitive that, you know, there should be a shortcuts team person talking to the reminders team and fully aware of what they're doing and saying, hey, do you guys need help adding actions or do you want us to do it for you? So when we get to WWDC, they can say, not only do we have this cool feature, you can automate it right out of the box instead of making all of us feel dumb trying to figure out how to add that new feature and ultimately realizing they just didn't bother to add it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I have faith in the shortcuts team. I feel like they're not going to go out yeah. and leak this stuff. So let them do their job. I mean, nobody wants shortcuts to be better than the people working on the shortcuts team. And I'm sure the stuff we're talking about is stuff that's driving them probably more crazy than it's driving us. But you know, it's a big company <laughs> and yeah, it seems like yeah. that's something that they could solve. I do wonder if perhaps some of why the, they are not so involved in the development of features is because how many features do we never know about because they never actually ship? Yeah. You know, right. how many things sure. do, do they try? Do they start and they try internally and they go, actually, no, we're not going to do that, even though they've invested development work in it. Um, and, you know, there there is something to be said for it. Don't start on things too early, but I, it kind of feels to an extent that some things maybe don't get started at all or are getting started much too late because there doesn't appear to be a automation framework for Safari tab groups, right. for example. Yeah. There's yeah. there's nothing in Apple Script. There doesn't appear to be a, a single w- way to get this information. And <laughs> I've gone digging. I have gone digging for this because I love tab groups. But You know, there's stuff in there that's years old. I, I was surprised at one point trying to do an automation to set up various, um, like when I'm going in for recording a podcast, for example, and I know I want all my windows set up in such a way and 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 create everything, and I do stuff with spaces. <laughs> There's no shortcuts yep. or Apple Script support for spaces. Spaces yep. have been there. I wrote a whole article about spaces on Six Colors a few weeks back. Spaces has been there for like a decade, and it's like, as far as you know, the system is concerned, it's yeah, the only no. way to the only way to automate it that I found was to use Keyboard Maestro to like trigger the like interface where you have you know <laughs> like a swipe and it brings up the ribbon across the top and then literally have it click on the button for a new space and you're like why is there not just an action that's like create a new space uh dan you want me to make your day oh yes better touch tool you can you can manage them <laughs> okay. in better touch tool. okay you can pick a specific right. space and attach it to a keyboard shortcut and you're off to the races all right all right so that's that's definitely better but i definitely feel like it's Apple's just that's their literally your OS. Yes. You built that feature in. You should have access to it. I agree. I think it's crazy that I got to go to a third party app, but at least there is one. Yeah. Yeah. So you end up doing things like hooking together Better Touch Tool and Keyboard Maestro. Yeah, and exactly. To, right. to do yep. like yep. A, a basic well, window layout. I think they could like, have done like one action on a, like a shortcut and you'd be like, yeah. I'd be done. Yeah. 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 I mean, tell you what, here's a challenge for shortcuts team for next year spaces and then remembered spaces like you have tab groups in safari give me mm-hmm. give me spaces that i can like have pre-configured oh that'd be awesome this episode of automators is brought to you by electric when you think of the phrase boss move you might think of making a bold business decision or maybe giving a great presentation in front of a big crowd the reality is sometimes being a boss in a small business means sorting out the orange juice you spilled on your own keyboard or helping a staff member set up their new laptop the team over at Electric knows small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. That's why they've solved this problem for you by operating as your IT department, instead of spending your time sorting through unused application licenses. 
setting up employee laptops, and answering never-ending IT questions from your team, you can build that empire. With Electric acting as your IT department, you can get back to what you're good at. Plus, you get really cool IT platform to see and manage everything. Sometimes it's knowing what not to be doing that's really the important move, and delegating it or making somebody else do that job is sometimes exactly what you need to do to be a great boss and to be good at what you do. Honestly, there's so many times when I would have loved something like Electric, from setting up random employee tablets for people, which were a hodgepodge of devices that we'd collected from various places over time, to just not having to deal with, hey, it's it's not turning on again. Dealing with all of that is something you can and you should hand off to Electric. If you've got business and you need to manage the IT as well as try and be good at your job, let Electric do the work. For Automators listeners, Electric are offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash automators. That's electric.ai slash automators. Go there now to get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones today for scheduling a meeting. Our thanks to Electric for their support of this show. And one thing that you said that stood out to me was that you had a problem you were managing through Google services. And that's what led you into like web-based automation. And I think that really is a trigger for this for a lot of people. Like if you want to automate things and you're heavily using Google stuff, um, web-based automation is something you should definitely look at. Yeah, I mean, I think the virtue of it is that most web services have an API. Now, whether that API is accessible and how many hoops you have to jump through to do it is a different matter. But... The fact that the way the web is built and the software upon which a lot of web apps are built, especially the kind of services a lot of us are using, is that it, like having an API seems like part and parcel of that. And maybe it comes out of the whole the fact that these are all network based services and a lot of them grew out of traditions where you had maybe a client app on your machine, think of something like mail, right, where mm-hmm. you had a, a, a sort of a client server relationship. Um, and so you know, it blew me away because like looking at these different services, you know, you go into something like IFTTT or Zapier or whatever. It's like a pretty good menu of services available. I think Integromat blew me away. Now make uh, because when you go in there, the the number of services it, it did, it had access to things that I did not see anywhere else and could do things like with those APIs. Like it's, it is clear they spent the time mm-hmm. building their modules for all these services to really take advantage of them to the utmost. And it's not everything right like there is stuff that is definitely possible in the apis that you can't do through necessarily web automation but like it makes sense that since everything is online that they were like and on the web that they would be able to talk to each other via the web uh and i think that is something that's incredibly powerful because many of us spend a lot of our time on the web you know Mm -hmm. i'm sure safari or your web browser is your app that you probably have open more than a lot of other ones uh, and so I've spent a lot of time working on gluing web services together and also doing automation for stuff like, um, you know, blogs or, or, you know, like WordPress platforms and stuff like that, where it's like, oh, I want to be able to like pull in content and show this content somewhere else. So there's a lot of tools available for that. And, you know, they vary in how technical they are. But um, certainly starting with tools like Make and uh, Zapier is a great way to think about what's possible with that. And the answer is quite a bit. Yeah, I would agree, especially because, you know, not everybody wants to necessarily do something like run a Mac mini or similar that's always on. Sure, I think yeah. there, there's definitely a massive win in the fact that the Internet is just always there. 
um, mm-hmm, and it mm-hmm. and it just you know it, it sits there and whatever happens happens and there is no need for you personally or your devices to be involved, which I think is something that you know uh, it, it, that could be a win having everything offline, local on your machine, and doing everything for you depending on what you're doing. But if you're trying to hook up, say, for example, I don't know, um, Airtable and a Google Doc, mm-hmm. then why why would you want your Mac to get in the middle of that? You know, Airtable's online, Google Docs is online. Right. It makes yeah. sense to bridge that with, you know, with an online tool. Um, and I think that's that's what strikes me as really interesting about that article uh, that you wrote for for the uh, the mystery puzzle hunt, where, you know, it's it's all online services. And so it makes perfect sense. But I had never really thought of the idea of just spinning up Discord channels for things as as stuff goes um, through an automation. That's not necessarily something that most people would need to do, but I can see the same sort of thing being applicable to other stuff. Um, you know, for example, if a project starts at work, then you might want to kick off um, a Slack channel uh, for a really, you know, big thing mm-hmm. so that people can then, you know, have all the chat in one place and you've got a kind of archive of that, um, which is, you know, really interesting. Yeah, I, I've been doing a lot with, uh, you know, also automating stuff um, so over at Six Colors, Jason Snell and I do a lot of our writing. Um, we have some other stuff that we had been work on, working on automating for that and also for some of the podcast stuff that we do over at The Incomparable. And, you know, in some of those cases, it was relatively simple ideas like, hey, we've got a calendar of events and we want to be able to automate, you know, having that count. Like if there are upcoming events you know, post them in our Slack channel or something. And it's like, yeah, there's there's built-in stuff for Slack that will let you do some of these things, but you're, oftentimes your customization is limited. Like what your parameters can be and how it works can be, you know, very limited in terms of how Slack is implemented a certain API. But you have the ability with these tools to sort of say, you know what, well, let's build our own tool that sort of has the full range of the API options available to us. So, you know, we can do stuff and, and we can do stuff that's not allowed by that. For example, like one of the big things that we wanted was setting up a way so that when we posted a story, it got posted in both uh, Slack channel for our member Slack as well as on Twitter. And now you're going across services in a way that's like, well, okay, but how it is how is your Twitter account going to know when a post goes up? And then how is your Slack account going to know when a post goes up? And some of these things could be done separately, like using, say, RSS or something like that. But Mm -hmm. we noticed that it was very slow, like because of the way that the RSS stuff was up. And so, you know, we basically set up a system whereby we've got just a very simple workflow that says, um, essentially, when a something is posted on the WordPress blog, it hits mm-hmm. a webhook, and uh, that basically sends messages to Slack and Twitter, and it's like instantaneous, which is wild. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the discovery of webhooks for me was something, and I, I don't know how many people are familiar with them, but basically, they're like URLs you can hit to say, like, "Hey, this just happened," <laughs> um, and that is enormous because it's fast, it's easy, and it's like incredibly powerful with what it can do because you can just do it as simple as just being like a like a ping almost that something's happened but they can see you can send data via them too yeah so yeah it's yeah. an api call um you know if, if you can right, you can have exactly. really simple unauthenticated ones where it's like hey if somebody hits this really obscure url that's got 200 uh odd random characters in it um plus a domain then you know then it's going to go do the thing or you can have ones with authentication and stuff and I think, you know, it's something mm-hmm. else you said, Dan, you could have had separate automations. You could have had one automation for the Slack channel, one automation for Twitter. But the problem with that is mm-hmm. then if something goes wrong, does only one of them break? 
Or do you need to go and fix both of them if there's right. a change to something in the back end? And I, this is why I like the idea of having online platforms personally for it's doing things like this, because this way I have unity between things. I don't have to have a WordPress plugin for posting to Twitter and a WordPress plugin for posting to Slack. And then something else comes along, you know, great new social media platform. And I don't have to wait for somebody to create, um, you know, an, a WordPress plugin for that or try and create one myself or sure, pay somebody yeah. to create it. They're probably going to go and approach the Integromat Zapier, if this, then that folks exactly. and say, hey, like we've got an API. Can can you hook us up? Because that's promotion for us. It's promotion for you. You know, we scratch your back, you scratch ours. And then bam, you've you've got that integration already. Um, because right. web hooks. Right. It's the, the virtue of those systems is like that's their bread and butter, right? That's their business. They want to have as many different APIs available because, like you said, it brings more customers in because people are like, oh, I can automate this and this and this other thing. Um, that is that's huge. And so it's offshoring that, I mean, like I have written stuff that accesses APIs directly. Like we have a, uh, a setup on the incomparable so that when we go live on YouTube uh, or on our audio stream, it includes an embed on our live page, the incomparable.com slash live. Uh, and I had to, that was a weird thing that ended up being much harder than I thought. Mm-hmm. But like I had to like write, you know, in PHP, I'm like accessing the the Google API and I'm like, this is a this is a huge pain. <laughs> it would yeah. so much better when I can rely on another service who's done all the heavy lifting and I just have to plug in some variables because, you know, it, I, I my programming skills are, are limited. Um, I can usually figure stuff out, but I, I'd rather not spend the time doing that if there's an easier way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's one of the beauties of these things. You know, it's great that things like Airtable have got APIs. And if you go to if you've got an Airtable account and you've got um, a base database for um, people who aren't familiar with the Airtable terminology in Airtable and you go to api.airtable.com, they have a custom API page which is automatically generated for your base and then for every table in your base. And you add some example records and it, it just populates the whole thing. It's amazing and magical. You still have to go and figure out how to do it, like and and set it up and everything. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. if you know, if you spend a bit of time learning one of the web automation services, I mean, quite frankly, you learn one, you learn them all. Um, you know, it's basically just form fields um, with you know yeah, buttons exactly. to insert data from a previous step um, or similar. Um, you know, or or you know, a special keystroke to to initiate it or start typing it. Um, but then you know, you, somebody else has already done the work, and you you just have to know. Okay, well, I want to get this data from here to here. So the the thing here is Google Docs. So I'm going to start with the Google Docs action and work my way backwards to everything else, or start from the beginning and work your way forwards. Whatever works. And I think it, it's it's really nice when somebody else has done all the work for you as sure, well. Yeah. Because uploading things to Dropbox as well as creating Google Drive folders and stuff, it, it ends up being an awful lot of work. And sure, you can do it all yourself, but do you have the time to? And do you have the time to maintain it if it goes wrong? I also really want the like the glue here now that lets me connect these web-based automations with stuff on my local devices. Yeah. Uh, because even though we talked earlier about like not wanting to intermediate stuff, having your Mac like manage all of it, which is true. Yeah. I have cases where I want to get stuff out of like a web service and into something on my Mac. And that's a system that's not as smooth. So, for example, I think about on my website, I have a place where people who have bought my books can request a free book plate, which is just a little adhesive thing that goes in your book. It's got a little design on it and I'll sign them and I'll send them anywhere in the world. And so I have like a WordPress form that just emails me. And it's like, 
on my Mac, I manage all that information in a numbers spreadsheet. <laughs> and so it's like, well, there are ways to get information, you know, out of an email and into a spreadsheet. But then you start getting in this very sort of kludgy like situation of munging data from one side to the other. And it gets a bit of a mess. And it's like, oh, man, it would be nice if there was a like a a bridge somewhere that connects sort of all these automation powers that I have on my local devices with the ones I want to do on web services. I mean, you know what uh, my solution to that problem would be? I wouldn't have the the WordPress form go into email. I'd have the WordPress form send it into a Google Sheet or an Airtable base or something for me. Yeah, then, that would be that would be the smart way to do it. But I'm I'm not that smart. <laughs> I think you are that smart. It's just you already had a system. I'm stuck and, in my ways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've got my numbers spreadsheet. I live in numbers on my Mac, which is I know a little weird, but I love I do love it. I use Google Docs a lot as well. But generally, if I want to share stuff, but for some reason, I just really I really like numbers. So I mean, you say that <laughs> it's yeah, so pretty. Like, it is pretty. It is pretty, but also it's friendly I've, too. Yeah, it's friendly, but I find Numbers is actually a really great automation tool that people don't realize yeah, is an automation I tool. Um, I had to, I, I was ripping um, Diagnosis Murder on DVD um, and putting it on my Plex server because trying to stream that, it's just not possible over here in the UK. You can't stream it anywhere. <laughs> so I bought the DVDs and I ripped them um, and I, I converted them and everything, but I had to name all the files, right? Um, and so mm. you're doing like Diagnosis Murder S01, E01, yeah, and, right. then, and so on. And it's just like, Hang on a second. I spent literally two minutes in numbers and I got myself two tables um, on a page where I was able to type in the season and the number of episodes in the season. And then it would just populate a vertical list with the season number and the episode numbers for me so I could copy paste. And it's like, okay, done. Now what am I going to go do with the rest of my evening? Thanks. <laughs> um, but, but you know, because it, it can do, it just, it can do math, math, it can do maths, it can concatenate strings, it can do fancier things like converting currencies and stuff. It's, it's kind of a really good sneaky automation tool. It does have shortcut support at the very least for adding a new line to end. So maybe, maybe what you need is a push cut automation server. So when yeah, somebody posts something like to your that. WordPress forum, then push cut is the one that takes that hook receives it and saves the data into into your number sheet for you all right that's gonna be my next step i'll, I'll definitely be working on that as a that's a new project idea for me <laughs> homework for you <laughs> uh, I, I do think there are some ways to also automate between web services and your mac using keyboard maestro it's like it has mm-hmm. web hooks or support and there I, I found the easiest way to work between the two is keyboard maestro you know it's just a little more advanced than shortcuts and and does some stuff like that it's funny i i have keyboard maestro and i've used it i have to say it is an app that often remains impenetrable to me like it's clearly extremely powerful but mm-hmm. it has such a unique <laughs> user interface that i have struggled to really adopt it for a lot of my automation needs just because it is uh, not a tool that i've used enough to really grasp yeah. all the intricacies of it i'm going um, to send you I, an eight hour field guide dan and this is how it gets you folks you come on the show as a guest and you go home with so much homework that you'll 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 be screwed yeah i have i'm gonna spend all my time reading about more automation things well watching in this particular case but yeah i i I have to say i don't take i don't personally end up using the webhooks in um keyboard maestro all that much not because they're not great they are but just because it goes back to that requirement of having a mac that's always on right um and 
you know, if my Mac's offline, you know, I have a, I have an iMac, which is running as my Mac home server because I was previously using an Intel Mac mini. Turns out uh, M1 iMac is considerably more energy efficient, folks. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's my personal home server right now. Um, but, that you know, if I've taken it offline for whatever reason or I'm monkeying around with stuff and, you know, something doesn't work, then, you know, I've you know, I, I've lost whatever it is because the only downside of webhook or um, any kind of web automation that's coming down to your device is they're usually fire and forget. They're not going to go, hey, did you get that? Is everything okay on your end? Um, they're going to just go, here it is, bye-bye. And yeah. they, they're not going to wait around to see if, if you caught it, uh, whatever it is. So I find usually personally, whenever I'm bridging stuff to my Mac or an iOS device or similar, um, I nearly always end up going via Dropbox, like just save it, whatever it is into Dropbox or save a JSON file into Dropbox that I can read right, out the keyboard sure, maestro yeah, yeah. when it appears. And then, and then, you know, and then I don't have the, I missed, you know, I missed the thing. Like it's something through it. I wasn't there to catch it. I was there. I, I arrived late and now the egg's on the floor and it's broken. It's like, no, no, no. It got put into the basket. And then, you know, I pick the stuff out of the basket and process it later um, whenever is appropriate. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a it's a another way to do it, another way to interact. And I, I think you're right that like being able to do sort of stuff on demand as opposed to having it automatic, like that's something that comes up a lot with Macs because you can't determine what the state will be. Will it be on? Will it be running? Will the services be firing correctly? But yeah, I, I think there is a lot of power there. And again, it's it's always one of those things that you make the choice when you're doing automation work is all right, how much time am I going to invest now into like saving time down the road? And the answer is often like you can do a lot and you can save a lot of time, but like you got to get over, it's like a roller coaster. You got to get over that initial big hill of like, all right, I'm going to invest the time in figuring this all out. And then everything after there is much smoother. It's all downhill. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Except for the little uphills in the way, but then it's downhill. (laughs) This episode of the automators is brought to you by text expander. Go to textexpander.com slash automators for your shortcut to efficient, consistent communication and get 20% off. Text Expander comes up all the time on the automators. In fact, they were the first sponsor of the automators podcast. When they heard we were doing it, they said, we love automation. We want to help support this. And the fact is, Text Expander is the best on-ramp for automation on your Mac. Text Expander is the text expansion tool that does so much more. As automators, text expansion is a great tool for us. You know, you just type C-C-E-L-L and it puts your cell phone number on. But with Text Expander, it goes so much further. Like, for instance, with Text Expander, you can hard code in key presses like the tab key or return. I use this when I create emails with Text Expander. I trigger the Text Expander snippet in the subject line so it types the subject. Then it hits the tab key and goes to the body and types the body message. So I can do all of this in one step. There's just no other text expansion tool that can do that. It can also run Apple scripts. So I have it pull the first name from the recipient of the email and put it into the email. So it'll say, hi, Rose, you know, because it got it out of the recipient name in the email. It can also use the contents of the clipboard. It can do so many great things. And if you want to get into automation, this is one of the best ways to do it because we are all spending too much time typing text repeatedly. And Text Expander honestly just brings you to the next level. I've got over a thousand snippets and I save days of every year using Text Expander snippets. I know that because they send me the reports, I have the receipts. And that's just the beginning. With Text Expander, you can also get it for your team so you can share it with them. 
So you can write snippets and everybody sends out a consistent message to your customers. My daughter is a teacher. She's using Text Expander to help automate some of the process she does with student reporting. It's saving her so much time. No matter who you are, if you spend time behind a keyboard and you just have a little bit of automation skill, Text Expander can make your life easier. It's really that easy. And Text Expander is available on the Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. And best of all, as a listener of the automators, you can get 20% off your first year. To do that, go to textexpander.com slash automators to learn more about Text Expander. Once again, that's textexpander.com slash automators. And our thanks to Text Expander for their support of the automators and all of Relay FM. So, Dan, um, one of the things that you mentioned, and um, we may be stealing a little bit from Jason Snell here, but I think you'll be okay with that because you worked on this together, is you've got um, w- one of your automations is for podcast show notes because uh, for people who don't know, Six Colors has got a podcast for members. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, and podcast show notes are one of those things where all of us podcasters are, you know, trying to solve the same problem about 80 bajillion ways, um, which, you know, it, it, it works. We, we've got had some fun with it. But taking notes during meetings and keeping links together and making sure that everything's in the right place really quickly is, I think, a problem a lot of people have. And so I'm curious as to how you've ended up solving this problem. Well, you know, one of the things, so Jason Snell and I have sort of collaborated on this. It actually started out as a way of uh, notes for editing. So both Jason and I Mm -hmm. edit a lot of podcasts. And what happens is, you know, you'll have a moment in a podcast where you're like, okay, something happened here and I know I need to go back to it later and fix that thing. Um, but you know, you may not have the presence of mind in the moment to write something down, or you have to like look at the time code and you may kind of lose it. And then you end up scrubbing around. It's like, would it be great? I mean, we have this information. We know how long has elapsed in our recording files. Um, couldn't we create some way of automating when you need to go back and like have your list of things to look at? And so Jason started this out by basically doing, I think a combination of stuff, uh, using, trying to remember exactly which tools he started uh, using. I think he was using Keyboard Maestro and some uh, an Apple script, basically. And I read this. I was like, oh, this is clever. Like, I do a lot of podcasts, too. This would be super handy. Um, I wonder if I could do this in a shortcut. <laughs> and it turned out I could. So I made a shortcut version of it, which Jason was like, oh, you know, it never even occurred to me to make a shortcut because I just immediately go to these other tools because I assume shortcuts will not have the tools available. I was like, well, but what we're doing essentially is creating a text file, getting a timestamp, and then putting it in with some note. Uh, all those things seem thing like things that, that uh, you know, shortcuts should be very capable of doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, and then it turned out that the hardest thing to do was to actually get a correctly formatted timestamp um, which was hilarious because like everything else was very easy. Like, oh yeah, make a file on the desktop with like the right name. Sure, great. Uh, enter some text, great. Um, but saying I want something that is formatted as you know, assuming zero 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 hours, zero minutes, zero seconds is sort of the beginning, right? I want something that's formatted in that way so that I can go and look it up when I'm in Logic or Ferrite or whatever. Yeah. Um, and and it doesn't want to do that because it wants you to view things as a like time as in the clock time right like what yeah. time is it not what time things are happening so we bounced back a lot of things and we came up uh, actually had some great suggestions from a lot of our readers um that basically were able to add uh clever ways to use sort of like unix timestamps and stuff like that to sort of yeah. fake fake your way into it uh and then combined also with stuff on the stream deck 
so that we could essentially have a one button, press a button, and then choose either from like a preset menu of things that have gone wrong, right? Like mm-hmm. somebody's connection drops or somebody swears and needs to get removed or you want to put it in a chapter or an ad or something like that. Uh, and then just have like sort of a one or two buttons that you could hit very quickly. And and I think one of the best things about this was, um, and actually one of the things that my shortcut I think did a little better than his initial version is the first thing my shortcut does is immediately grab the time when yeah. you press the button. So it, you know, literally at the second when you're hitting it, it's not like I had tried to write these things down in notes documents before. And you're always, the time it takes you to write down unless you're smart enough to like look at the clock immediately and then go write stuff down, you're always going to lose some time Three, four there. seconds. Yeah, exactly. So this does it like instantaneously. And that was, that was huge. So it is still something that I, I use pretty frequently when I'm recording a podcast to like sort of hit a button on my stream deck and be like, oh, yep, got it. Crosstalk there or something. Got to take that out. Uh, and it's, it's a great workflow. I was going to say, I have something similar, which uh, I, I stole uh, from a previous guest on the show, which I'm using the Stream Deck pedal. And I'm curious, mm, Stream Deck mm-hmm. or Stream Deck pedal or both? Uh, I've only used the Stream I just don't, I have, I'm still in the introductory Stream Deck. I have uh, the six button. I know. I haven't done oh. the trade, trade, you know, give it to a friend and then buy the bigger version yet. But I see how you people work. So what you're saying is you're early in your Stream Deck indoctrination indeed you're only exactly. level one you know rose is level six so you gotta you yeah, got some work to do. i i gotta i gotta level up here i need some more i, I only have two stream decks in this room <laughs> <laughs> you're fine then you're all good exactly yeah so uh, i but that's that's been something that's really i think has i think the thing i struggle oftentimes the most with automation is not doing the automation itself but realizing that there is a task to be automated i think that's the thing that i often have trouble with is like you know, I'll sit around and be like, oh, I want to play with shortcuts. I'm like, but unless I have a thing I actually want to do or a thing that I think about, hey, you know, I do this thing all the time and it'd be great if that were not such a pain, <laughs> then I kind of find myself at loss like, oh, shortcuts is fun, but I'm just sort of like looking around, browsing. Yeah, automation in the abstract is is a is a fool's errand, right? You, you got to have a problem yes. to solve. And that's when all yeah. of a sudden you start figuring stuff out and um, then, you know, then in the future, you've got that tool set now built where you can use it for some other problem. Um, with the, um, with the timestamp, would you mind just kind of walking through the shortcut steps for people listening along? You know, it sometimes sure. that helps yeah. to hear how somebody, why somebody did certain actions and, and how, you know, what the challenges were. Yeah. All right. So this is the most recent version, which is sort of a, as I said, it's sort of a joint collaboration between me and Jason. Um, so, and I'm looking at the one, I should probably look at the one on the Mac just in case I think it's pretty similar, but, um, let me open up here. So, uh, the first thing it does is it receives, uh, um, I think there's a received text input from quick actions. And if there is no input, it continues onward. Uh, and that's, I don't know why Jason did that. That's a Jason change, but I think it's a more of a procedural thing. Um, it's probably for uh, the trigger. It's- yeah. Mm-hmm. I think for the triggering that he's doing. Yeah. Um, so you, first thing you do is you grab a date, you set a variable to the current date. So you have that. Um, if you have not entered any, uh, input value, uh, that's right. It's for the triggering. So he's got his presets where it basically can send a payload and say, this is a tech problem. This is a crosstalk. This is mm-hmm. somebody swearing, etc. something like that. So it's already in embedded in the triggers from his stream deck. And if there is not text describing the issue, it throws up a prompt. So it doesn't ask for text. And lets you enter some sort of uh, information about what happened. 
Um, otherwise, it uses a text action, which grabs the shortcut input. It then gets the contents. In my case, this is an alteration I've made. It gets the contents of a folder. I have a podcast, a folder on my drive called In Progress, which is basically where Audio Hijack stores anything that's recording right now. Um, and then it filters the contents of that folder using two criteria. First, that the file extension is WAVE, because that's what I record in. And mm-hmm. second, that the creation date is within the last six hours. The number there is somewhat arbitrary. Uh, I don't think I have many podcasts that go. I've had podcasts that go like four hours. If we're doing like a long total party kill section, they will go pretty long. But I figured six hours was pretty safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorted by creation date, ordered uh, by the latest first, and then limited to a single file because you only really need one file, right? I might be record- recording my file the zoom side a joint one but as long as you got one you're good Uh, i then do a thing where i get the time between the creation date of that file and the current date in seconds so now i have a big number of however many seconds has elapsed since the recording started and then this is where the trick comes in you add that number of seconds using the uh, add time option to the basically the beginning of the Unix epoch, which is uh, January 1st, 1970 at 0000000, et cetera. You could, yeah. in theory, use the same time of any day. I think that works. Um, and then uh, we have a text field where we have uh, an, uh, it basically creates the, the stamp that's going to go in a file. And when I use the uh, adjusted date, um, which is formatted with a custom format, which is the capital HH colon lowercase mm colon lowercase mm-hmm. ss, which gives you, you know, it's all padded, right? So you want to make sure that you've got like that zero, zero one. So it looks right, like consistent and you can easily read it. Uh, and then it, it has that with a dash and then the text that we inputted or the text that was handed to the shortcut. And then it simply appends that uh, line to a, uh, a file that it creates in the in-progress folder, so right next to where all my audio files are stored. And that file's just called notes-dash, and then the date that the recording started. And it makes a new line every time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so what you end up with is just a file saved there that's a text file. Uh, and it has just a one line, you know, sort of quick thing about like, oh, here's this thing happened. Here's this thing happened. Here's this thing happened. And then when I, uh, I have, I could talk about another automation for that for a second, but, um, I have all those files get scooped up basically after the recording is done, packaged in a folder and then sorted into the correct, uh, folder for depending what podcast it is. And they include the notes file with it. So when I go a day, two days, a week later to edit something, the file with all the notes in it has been kept along with all the audio files. So I always know where to find it. And when I start editing that project, I have it to refer to. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Hunter Douglas. We all want to live well, at ease, in comfort and in style. Hunter Douglas can help you do just that with their innovative window shade designs and gorgeous fabrics. And control systems so advanced, they can be scheduled to automatically adjust their optimal position throughout the day. Hunter Douglas's shades diffuse harsh sunlight, instead casting a beautiful glow across the room. With their adaptability, you can enjoy the view outside a window without needing to give up your privacy. And you can bring all of this together with Hunter Douglas's Power View technology. This ensures your shades will automatically reposition for the perfect balance of light, privacy, and insulation, morning, noon, and night. Honestly, one of the things I love most about my window treatments is that they're automatic. I don't have to worry about whether or not I remember to open the blinds or when I'm on holiday, people don't necessarily know that I'm not at home. 
honestly, if you've got shades in your house and you would like them to go up and down, maybe just because it's another thing to do or to help you get up in the morning or just because it's a cool home automation feature, then you want Hunter Douglas. Hunter Douglas shades are compatible with all your favorite home automation systems. Amazon Alexa, Apple HomeKit, Google Assistant, If This and That, and more. I know listeners of the show would really love to be able to automate this stuff themselves too, helping them integrate their shades with the other products in their home, and you can get that control with Hunter Douglas. So you can live beautifully with Hunter Douglas, enjoying greater convenience, enhanced style, and increased comfort in your home throughout the day. And right now, for a limited time, you can take advantage of the generous rebate savings opportunities on select styles. Visit hunterdouglas.com automators. That's hunterdouglas.com automators. Our thanks to Hunter Douglas for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's talk about that whole date and elapsed time bit in the middle. Because yeah. I think that's mm-hmm. something that a lot of people could benefit from. Shortcuts, in my opinion, actually really simplifies dealing with dates and actually getting time between dates, too. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. if you've ever done date automation in Apple Script or any of the traditional programming languages, it does require you to use, I guess, what they call absolute time, which is where you got to mm-hmm. use the Unix command and like go and figure out what second you are basically in the universe to yeah. to establish a baseline for time. It's a it's a huge pain. At, at some point, Rose and I probably should cover that in more depth on the show. <laughs> but I do feel like that um, for people that want to deal with time and dates, shortcuts. You know, that's one of the things shortcuts is really good at um, in terms of finding where you are. And be the difference between that time and some other time. I thought that was yeah. kind of ingenious the way you did it, really. I, I mean, I was not, I fully, fully give credit to uh, one of our readers who I think came up with that suggestion because in my earliest version, I see, uh, again, my background, I have some background in programming. I basically struggled to figure out how to get shortcuts to do this because it wants to view everything as a, a calendar date and time, a yeah. time of the day. And it doesn't want to deal with duration, despite the fact that there is like a convert measurement um, feel uh, uh, action as part of, I want to say, calculator that includes something called duration, but it could not understand what I was trying to give it. Um, that was very frustrating. And so what I event- early in my first version, I basically kicked it out to like a Python script. That's like three lines of Python because I'm like, I know how to do this in mm-hmm. PHP or Python really easily. But I could not figure out how to do it in shortcuts. And so I was kind of banging my head against the wall. And then uh, I think this is where Jason and I batted stuff back and forth a long time. Because what I eventually had at one point was a series of calculate like expressions um, where I essentially did the math by like, give me a number of seconds and let me like divide by 3600 and like, you know, essentially turn those things into uh, hours and minutes and seconds. Which again was not a thing that it was really equipped to do. Insofar as like you can't just hand it a number of seconds and be like, "Tell me the hours, minutes, and seconds left into this." I had to like generate each of them, the hours, the minutes, and the seconds, and then glue them all together. Which was shortcuts native was the advantage, right? It didn't depend on having Python or any other programming language involved, but it was also more complex because it took several actions to do that. And that was the point at which somebody suggested like, "Hey, you could probably sort of trick it into thinking this by viewing like the the date." Uh, as sort of zeros, you know, like the the beginning of the epoch and adding to that, which was a very clever solution. But it was something that frustrated me and felt like there should be a better shortcuts action for dealing with this kind of date and time information as opposed to, you know, the normal sort of date and time stamp. 
Yeah, because it's there. There is an action for getting the time between dates, um, which is which is useful if you've got the time between dates. Um, and I'm I'm personally kind of interested in the fact that you are getting the file every single time because I have a keyboard maestro macro that does something similar. But what happens is when I start my recording, um, the macro that I run saves the timestamp into a variable, which in keyboard maestro is a global variable, which we don't have in shortcuts. So you would right. have to save yep. it somewhere like using either a third-party app or to a file. Um, and then, um, you know, and then every time I, I hit the middle foot pedal of my Stream Deck pedal, um, it, it it just activates the Safari window with the Google Doc in it um, and hits command down and then t- and types in types in the timestamp, uh, which it saved at the beginning of the macro, just, just like you did, Dan, because that was something I realized. Because usually w- by the time you realize actually you need to take the note, you need to go back a couple of seconds already. So I didn't want to lose even more time. Yeah, if you put it that. further down in the shortcut or in your automation, it doesn't get the time until that point, which may yeah, be, exactly. especially in my case, I think the original version that Jason had written, it was waiting to timestamp until after you enter the text. And I was like, well, if it takes you 10 seconds to enter the text, your timestamp is totally wrong now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, getting the creation data files, fortunately, I think is pretty cheap as far as like, you know, like computing wise. So I don't worry too much about it, but it is a great point that like, if you had a way to persist information across shortcuts, like a global variable, which is something that exists in a lot of programming or other scripting tools, that would be a very good use for it. And But it was, I think, a big priority for Jason and I when we were trying to design this to make it as portable as possible and not depend yes. on any you know, external uh, third parties or tools. As good as they are, if you want to make it portable, yeah. you're kind of stuck that yeah. way. Just thinking out loud, Rose, wouldn't DataJar work for that? Uh, DataJar would absolutely work for that. DataJar would be a great way of storing that information. Um, other options, of course, include things like Toolbox Pro um, and, and and numerous other things, just saving a text file somewhere. Um, sure. yeah. But one thing that occurs to me is if people are using Timery, it has a format duration option, mm. um, which might be something that's useful for people instead of uh, getting getting something else. And in um, theory, if I were tweaking this a little bit more to my specific setup, what I would yes. do now is use something like Audio Hijacks own automation process to get like, hey, just tell me what the current time <laughs> on this recording is, right? But again, if you're making it portable as possible, you can't depend on having third parties in there. Yeah. I have to say, I did not think about getting the current time out of the Audio Hijack one. Oh my gosh. How did I not think about that? It's because it didn't exist when you built it. Yeah, that oh, too. <laughs> I, 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 so my day job is writing PHP and JavaScript. Um, the 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 project that I work on at um at work is a, a Laravel application with re- a React front end. So JavaScript to me is not a problem. Oh, you good face for me you. with AppleScript. I, I hate JavaScript. <laughs> well, you 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 come to me you come to me with AppleScript, and I'm like, oh, maybe oh, yeah. not. Yeah, maybe yeah, not. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, but at the very least, um, you know, there, there's there's plenty of options out there. And this is what I love about things like this is there's so many different ways to solve this problem. And right, also, yeah. just just to, just to highlight that, you were talking about um, Epoch and, and Unix time. Apple also has their own special one called Coco Time, which is time since um, midnight UTC, January 1st, 2001, um, which is sometimes used in some of their things, which is oh, just dear. a little bit of I thought of, you were going to uh, say from fun. like, uh, it counted from like January 24th, 1984. And I'd be like, that no, would be a, such an Apple decision. <laughs> that would be very Apple. But I, I have to say, I somewhat appreciate the fact that it's January 1st, 2001. Because mm, you know it mm-hmm. saves you thirty years, like get right. Oh yeah, it's great. Plus the uh, you get to skip that whole Y two K issue. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. No, there's there's no worries about the uh, ATM eating all our money um, mm-hmm. and over here anymore. At any rate.
This episode of The Automators is brought to you by LinkedIn. Go to linkedin.com slash automators22 and grow your business with a $100 credit on your next campaign. Time and place is everything, especially in marketing. But in today's age of a million messages per minute and not enough hours in a day, how do you really catch your target audience's attention? Fortunately, there's a simple way. LinkedIn can help you speak to the right people at the right time. With LinkedIn becoming number one in B2B display advertising in the United States, you've got a great advantage. You can stand out against your competitors while nurturing customer relationships and growing your brand. LinkedIn delivers you quantity and quality. Its targeting tools allow you to reach your precise audience down to their job title, company name, location, and more, which means your ads are being seen by those who matter. So it's no wonder companies of all sizes and sectors are using it. Take Main Street, a company who helps venture-backed startups claim tax credits. They increase their annual recurring revenue by $12 million with LinkedIn's marketing solutions. Everybody goes to LinkedIn, and it's a great place to get immediate marketing results to grow your startup. For online advertising, LinkedIn is where it's at. You can scale your marketing and grow your business with LinkedIn advertising. As a thank you to their customers for helping them grow three times faster than the competition, LinkedIn is offering a $100 credit on your next campaign. Just go to linkedin.com slash automators22 to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash automators22, the number 22. And our thanks to LinkedIn for their support of the automators and all of Relay FM. Dan, I'm sure you've got some little automations that you use to get through your day. Uh, not necessarily as complex as the one we covered in the last segment. Uh, drop some knowledge on us. <laughs> well, uh, one thing I realized at one point was there are certainly a lot of third-party apps out there for letting you track different parts of your life and different metrics, and especially in this case, health stuff. Um, but I didn't really... You know, I had that moment of not wanting to really have to spin up a whole separate app. And especially in some of these things, it's like, I don't know if I want the app to like have this information or have to think about where this app might be sold or whatever. So like, hey, surely I can do something like this with automation. And in particular, I was like, well, I want to track my weight. Um, so like, you know, my doctor's always recommended, yeah, weigh yourself once a week and sort of keep track and you can see the trends over time. Uh, and so I was like, well, an automation, that seems like a perfect place for an automation. And so I basically just created a super basic uh, automation that um, I think I have it uh, remind me like a you know a setup to remind me once a week on like you know Monday morning first thing or something it's like you know do, would you like to run this record weight shortcut um, but I can always trigger it manually if I want to mm -hmm. uh, and so basically I run that shortcut it just prompts you asks for a number with today's weight and then it uses the log health sample option uh, that's built into shortcuts where you can tell it what kind of date or what kind of data are you storing in this case weight and then the input that you provided along with the current date and then i decided i want to get a little more complex just because i wanted to also have it tell me then you know while well, you've recorded this weight like i want to know you know my my rolling average as it were and so i did a simple thing where it goes through and finds all the weight health samples from the last six week six weeks um orders them and then uh, basically gets the four health samples out of that because here is my my fudge for myself, which is I'm not always great at remembering to do this despite having the shortcut to remind me. So I mm -hmm. figure if, if I go over the last six weeks and then I take four health samples from there, I will at least have enough for kind of like a monthly average. Um, and then it uses uh, sets the variable of the earliest date, 
uh, to, you know, like when the last date was and uh, splits them out by new lines, turns them into text. I don't remember why I was doing all this, but I had reasons at the time. I think it's because I'm doing uh, creating like a time between dates here and having to calculate um, essentially the average, because even though I knew it would be, you know, again, I'm not taking like, hey, if I were great at this and did it literally every single week, I could just grab the last four and average it. But because I'm doing the last six weeks, I kind of have to do a little bit of data finagling to say, hey, over the last several periods since date X, you know, it might be six weeks, it might be five weeks, etc. cetera. Uh, and so I kind of had it do all that fin- like finagling to tell me how many weeks had elapsed and then mm-hmm. calculate the average over that and show a notification that says your average weight over the last x weeks is average and then it just pops up so i can kind of you usually like do it and say oh okay i've gotten my you know over the last six weeks i've only weighed myself three times but it can tell me the average of those three times over the last six weeks so i like having that instant feedback too right because you can go into the health app and you can be like all right let me look at the chart there but i find the chart sometimes annoying because you got to toggle the right scale and yeah, I don't like that as much. So getting just a one number like, hey, this is where your average is at based on the samples that we can have. Very simple and straightforward. Yeah. Did you consider just um, uh, saying, um, because I was just looking at this this right now, because you reminded me, um, my doctor asked me to track my uh, peak flow rates for um, exhalation um, to check how my asthma is doing. And it turns out very well. Um, but I had to log this data and I was just logging it into drafts, which is not a terrible place because I've got the data with the dates and everything. But I've just realized that I can store that in the health app. That's what um, for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like there's there's actually an option for that, which is great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was just looking at the the find health sample. Um, and there's there's the option to um, instead of um, uh, just um, getting like or going over multiple ones. Um, I was able to say, like, type is weight, um, for example. Start date is in the last six weeks. Um, yep. And then I've done a sort by end date, order by latest, and then limited it to, like, four. Would that change? Yeah, that's the, that's the, basically yeah, that's, what I did. Yeah. I have sort by start date, order latest first, and then I don't yeah, know why yeah, I flipped the dates. Like, again, this it's what I haven't looked at the ins and outs of it in a while. And it's like, I don't Fair remember enough. why yeah. I did. Some, it's like it's like I don't comment my code, right? I should be commenting yeah. this like <laughs> I did this for a reason. <laughs> remember yeah, yeah. this. I, future I was Dan. just checking that I had understood what you were doing correctly because yeah, uh, yeah, I yeah. briefly in my head understood that you were doing this manually and went, hmm, I wonder why that is. Um, but <laughs> the yeah. answer is there's always a better way to do it. It's just the moment what I've come up with in the moment. No, no, no. The answer is there's always a different way to do it. But the best ah, way to yes. do it is the way that you've done it because it's actually done. That's right. That's a great call. <laughs> <laughs> yes which makes a lot of sense no i really like that because especially if you don't already have a smart scale and then you know like is it only operating on your home network i have a eufy scale and it's not that i don't trust eufy but i've used the era app to block its internet access so that it's just you know it logs via the app on my phone to HealthKit, and that's it thank you very much um but i i appreciate the fact that it does do that um you know when when my phone turns on um and i open the app but i can imagine that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily want a wi-fi connected scale and if you've already got scales and they work, then then why not just, you know, save yourself some cash and do it via shortcuts um, to, to log it? You know, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's nice to have the option and you can also control where it is, right? Like, that's the thing I feel great about is like, I, I know it's on my phone. I trust Apple with, you know, other health data. So I'm totally fine having this information in there. 
Yes, yes. And then you could always get really nerdy and convert it into a really pretty chart uh, with Charty if you wanted to or something. Yes. I do have that, but I haven't yet mastered uh, that aspect of it. But it's something that's always in the back of my head. Mm. Yes. And I think you can extend this to a lot of other things as well. I did something similar for my parents and blood pressure because they had a non-smart blood pressure monitor. Um, and now they have a somewhat smart blood pressure monitor because I stuck an NFC tag on it and programmed it. So when they <laughs> tap the NFC tag, it opens the shortcut or runs the shortcut for them to log the data, um, which works perfectly. Um, and now they have what they think is a really smart um, blood pressure monitor. Um, it's not that smart. It's just a shortcut, but it works. Yeah, that's a really good idea to use an NFC tag to do something where you need to monitor yeah. or report yeah, in. Smart. You know, mm-hmm. stick one near your scale would be another good idea. Like if you get your scale against a wall. Yes. Yeah. No, it turns out my parents have a whole host of like non-smart health devices. Um, and so I I just went a bit nuts with NFC stickers. So my dad's blood glucose monitor um, has an NFC sticker on it. So when he logs it, he can just tap his phone to it and and, um, you know, and I put all of them in a folder on their home screen as well. They, they, they've they not, my parents haven't learned the app library yet. Uh, it's kind of sweet. Um, <laughs> I, I tried explaining it to them when we were on holiday together in New York a little while ago. It, it, they didn't understand. They were like, but where are the apps if they're not on my home screen? It's like, just, they're, they're there. You just don't manually organize them. Trust I don't, it doesn't us. matter. It doesn't matter. I put I put together um, a folder for them, and uh, I actually wonder now maybe I should do a widget stack, but it's possibly going a bit far for them if they've not introduced themselves to the app library yet. Yeah, yeah, one thing at a time. Yeah, exactly. Any other helpful little um, uh, little automations you got, Dan? I will. Uh, I'll throw out there this other one that I made, which is it's it's a little complex, but has a very basic premise, which is. Every day I read a set of comics um, mm-hmm. via a browser. And I wanted to create a shortcut to open all of these at the same time because I have a bookmark group, which is fine. Yeah. But the, the trick was some of them only update on certain days. And, and so I didn't want it to open the ones that were not new on those days. So I have some that update on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I have some that only show up on Sunday. And I wanted to be able to make this like, oh, can I make a customized shortcut for doing this and i i did write this up also at six dollars at one point but essentially what it takes is uh it starts out with a dictionary that's basically a multi a multi um dimensional dictionary that includes both a schedule within it and a url okay and then it runs a big loop basically over that take you know gets the current date figures out like what date it is what day of the week week. yep and then it creates uh, a list of all these, uh, the you know applicable one, uh, like it basically creates a list and then repeats over that list, checks the date, sees if that date is within the schedule. In order to do this, I basically created like a, a ad hoc scheduling format where it uh, is basically I just use a two letter abbreviation and string them all together as a string. So like the schedule might say like you know M O. A capital M, lowercase O, capital W, lowercase E, capital F, lowercase R from Monday, Wednesday, Friday, etc. Um, it checks for that. And then the trick for this was one of the sites where I read a bunch of comics has, uh, it's kind of annoying, the URL for the actual strip is basically, you know, the name of the site slash the name of the, stri- uh, the strip slash year slash month slash day right like your standard sort of thing but like yeah. all this like different it's a rewrite etc blah 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 um 
And so you can't bookmark it, right? Because the date hasn't happened yet. And so I could make bookmark folders that just open the generic date, but it means every time I have to click through, like, okay, because it only shows you like a like part of the strip and you have to like click through because it gets me really annoyed. So I was like, well, I just wanted to build the URLs for me. So that's essentially what I have it do is I have it go like, hey, if today is on the schedule and if the comic's at the specific site, then take a date string that we already have, add it to the URL I've stored in the dictionary, um, and then add that to like my final list of things to open. And then after I get out of that loop, I basically take my list, split it by new lines, and then told, tell Safari, like, open all these URLs. Yeah. That so makes, that's a total it, thing you could do in shortcuts. That makes a lot yeah, of sense. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It, it works really well, actually. I have to say, it's one of the remo- most robust shortcuts I have made um, in that I've never had a... Once I figured out how to make it work, I've never had a problem and never had to touch it again. It does literally what I want it to do every single time. And it, this is one of the places where Apple's sort of uh, predictive uh, AI stuff works well because, you know, my uh, frequently my phone will tell me, like, as I wake up in the morning and I'm checking my phone and everything, it'll pop up a little, you know, like the little widget where it's like, hey, you normally read your comics right now. It's like, oh, I do want to read my comics. <laughs> and I hit the button and it'll launch the shortcut and everything works great. So uh, that's a little handy tool I built for myself just because I was like, there must be an easier way to do this. The I think, which is the credo of all automators everywhere. Absolutely. And I love that. I found the post on Six Colors, by the way, and put a link to that in the show notes for anybody who's looking. Um, It's there with uh, Automate This, Reading Comics. And uh, I love that idea. And I have different links to open on different days. So I'm going to be stealing this from you, though, sadly, not for comics. I might steal the comics, too. it, It works for anything. Well, we're going to talk about how all of us consume digital media like comics and books in Automator's Max today. So let's put a pin in that. Uh, for now, Dan, I just want to thank you for coming on. Gang, you can find Dan over at dmorin.com. We didn't mention basically at all today that Dan is an accomplished author. I mean, you got what now? Three books with a fourth on the way, right, Dan? That's right. My fourth book, which is The Nova Incident, uh, comes out on July 26th. So get your pre-orders in right now. Caledonian Gambit, Bayer and Agenda, Aleph Extraction. They're good books, man. So go check it out. Dang. Support a fellow nerd and have a great ride along the way. I, I recommend you do that. In fact, maybe you want to do it digitally, like we're going to talk about in Automator's mm-hmm. Box today. Mm-hmm. Dan also writes mm-hmm. over at Six Colors. Uh, he's on the Clockwise podcast. And you are a very uh, common and frequent contributor over on The Incomparable as well. Any, anything I missed, Dan? Uh, I also do a tech podcast called The Rebound with uh, John Moltz and Lex Friedman, which is every week. You can find it at reboundcast.com or obviously in your podcast listener of choice. All right. And we got links in the show notes for all of that stuff, as well as some of the shortcuts that Dan talked about today. So check it out. Thanks again, Dan, for coming on. We are the Automators. You can find us on relay.fm slash automators. You can find our forums over at talk.automators.fm. Thank you to our sponsors today. That is our friends over at Electric. Text expander, Hunter Douglas, and LinkedIn. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone.